0: another episode of Heaven and Healing Podcast. I'm Angela. So um, a few things. First, I want to just say thank you, thank you, thank you for all of the support. It means so, so much. And I am so humbled and thankful and blessed and just in awe of all that God is doing through me. Um, All for his glory, of course. It's just truly magnificent. And if you would have told me that this time a year ago that this is where I would be on my walk with Christ. I would have looked at you like you had six heads. (laughs) I was only just starting to accept him around this time last year. And I'm recording this in real time, October 2nd, 2022. So if you've listened to my testimony, you know that this is around the time when I let him into my life, but I was still straddling the fence of new ageism for the next several months. So it's just... I mean, it's just crazy all that's happened this past year. Um, Second, I do want to address some things that have come up um, in my comments and in my messages after my episode that I recorded with Matt Reynolds. However, I'm going to save that for the end of the episode. Just some concerns. So if you're interested in hearing that, you can wait until the end. Something that annoys me about podcasts that I listen to sometimes is when the host kind of gives maybe like a 15 minute update or breakdown on X, Y, or Z before getting into the actual meat of the episode you know, like if I'm working out or something, sometimes I'll like make it through 20 minutes of my workout before I'm even in the topic of what the episode is. And I'm like, I always just find myself wishing that they would just get to it first. So that's what I'm going to try and do for you guys and just kind of save that to the end. So if you want to hear it, it'll be there. And if not, you know, you got what you needed from this episode alone. So I'm just going to kind of hop right into it. I think the title of this episode is a little bit self-explanatory. Let's not underestimate the devil, but let's not overestimate him either. And now, going to do the best I can to kind of get through this. There is like a lot of information and um, truly this is a topic that could be explored from many different avenues and could be explored for many hours. But I wanted to condense it the best I could because I feel like God has been kind of preparing this episode for me for the last month or so. I did a biblical fast a month and a half ago and this was what sort of started to come through for me as a believer in Christ and this is something that I want to differentiate in this episode that when I talk to believers I'm saying we should not overestimate the devil when I'm talking to unbelievers I'm saying don't underestimate him okay because based on what scripture says there are a few key elements that do um bring that differentiation into light. (coughs) So let's just kind of dive in based on kind of the experiences that I've had. Because coming out of the new age, I can say that myself, I was really kind of scared of the devil because the thing is, I was I was under deception for so long. I was just deceived for years and I didn't realize it. And it was scary to reflect on in hindsight because... I really didn't think there was anything wrong at all with the practices that I was engaged in, with the lifestyle and spirituality that I was a part of at the time, which was obviously new ageism. But coming out of that, after Jesus had saved me from that mess, I, of course, came to the truth, which is Jesus, and discovered, yeah, I was under the schemes and the snares of Satan for a really long time. And that's scary. Um... And so I think what I have seen within myself and a lot of my friends on Instagram and people that come into my DMs is that when we come out of the new age, especially a lot of us Christians tend to give the devil way too much clout. And when I did this biblical fast, that was what came through was God was telling me, look, you don't got to be scared of him. And I'm going to get into why, but... It's almost like when we come out of the New Age, we have this PTSD, right, where we approach the world with kid gloves, almost, because coming out of that realm of counterfeit spirituality, yes, we had been deceived for so long, and so I have a lot of empathy for that kind of mindset where you come right out of the New Age and into Christ, and suddenly it's like Satan is everywhere, like you're just scared, and you don't want to make the wrong move because... You made so many wrong moves before that led you down this deceptive, dark path where you were dead in your sin and on a one-way ticket to hell, and you would never, ever want to do that again, right? We had been living in defiance of God for so long, and you want no parts of that life. You want no parts of even the possibility of that sort of thing ever happening again, And so again, we enter the world with like kid gloves and we're afraid of anything that could possibly conjure up the devil, right? So I get that. I I understand that. And it really is kind of equivalent to this feeling of PTSD. And honestly, I think that's valid because it is pretty scary to think that you were just being manipulated or puppeted by Satan and his minions, like, I'll, I'll give you that because I relate to that because I was there too. But the thing is, okay, we have to remember as believers that we are washed clean the moment we surrender to Jesus. And we are literally made a new creation. 1 Corinthians 6.11 11. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of Lord Jesus Christ and the spirit of our God. And then we have 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. So the old has passed away, okay? You are not the same person who got sucked into the deception of the new age. You are not the same person who was under spiritual oppression. That person is no more. That version of yourself that was in a spiritual slumber, that was dead in sin and on that one-way ticket to hell, gone. You are in Christ now. You can rest in that. Psalms talks all about resting in the Lord in the midst of David's manic episodes. (laughs) But that's the thing. You can rest in the Lord. When someone is truly in Christ, They will never be the same person that they were before because he is the redeemer. He has redeemed you from Satan. He has redeemed you from your sin. Okay? As Christians, and I am speaking to all born-again believers, not just those coming out of the new age, but with the new age, I think there is this heightened sense of timidity because of the spiritual undertone of everything that we were a part of previously. So as Christians, we can rest in the Lord. We can know that he has washed us clean, that the person we were that fell for all that, all those tricks, no more, they're gone. They have been nailed to the cross with Christ. So maybe take a deep breath and just realize that for a moment, that you have been washed clean, that you have been made a new creation, and that he is your redeemer and your protector. You know, I think a lot of us coming out of the new age can get really caught up in feeling like we have to dodge a Satan bullet constantly because of our experience in the new age. And I get it because when you think about all the things we had to do in the new age, when it came to our practices, right? Reiki, what'd you have to do? Clear the room. You had to set the room up. You had to put your four pillars of light around the room. You had to frame the room with the with the field of protection. You had to call in your angels, call in your guides, your spirit team, clear any negativity. Same thing with your tarot cards. You always had to clear the deck. Make sure there wasn't anyone else's energy attached to it. You had to really set your intentions with the cards. Same thing with crystals. When you first got new ones, what did you do? You had to clear them out. Or we always had to charge them under the moon or something to get rid of any negative energy that they may have absorbed over time. There were always these elements within our new age practices where we had to somehow set up to prepare ourselves to protect against negativity or to prepare ourselves to protect against any sort of, I don't even know if we used the word demonic at the time, but that's what it was, demonic influence, which the irony is that we were under demonic influence. But you know what I'm saying, that we were always so, quote, careful to set up the right way. There were all these steps that we had to take to ensure our, quote unquote, safety. You know, there was always a warning label on every practice that we did and always a right or wrong way of doing things. That's why we had to go through things like Reiki training, one, two, three, master, whatever. Because there was always that undertone of, well, you might let evil in too. And I did talk about this in my episode with Joshua Zakoff when we discussed psychedelics. How when you did mushrooms or acid, people would tell you, you know, bad trips happen sometimes. You might see some scary things like preparing you for the worst. Why are new age practices like that? It's almost like, wow, they are inherently evil or something. So that kind of PTSD, right? That kind of just carries on into our newfound walk with Christ because we don't know any better yet. You know, we're brand new, we're baby Christians. We just come into it and all we kind of have at that point is the knowing that Jesus Christ is our savior and our king and that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And we have a lot to learn still. So we are working with that and also with the, the experiences and the quote-unquote knowledge that we gained from our experiences. So we get this idea in our heads that, oh, maybe there's a thousand steps to take to ensure against the safety of the devil in this walk now with Christ. But the thing is, it's not that complicated with God, with the real God, not with the universe God, with God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth the triune god father son holy spirit jesus made it simple and when we come to him he literally changes us the holy spirit indwells within us and that's per john 739 okay the holy spirit literally indwells within us we are no longer children of wrath we are no longer serving the prince of this world which is satan which is again from scripture but we are no longer serving him inadvertently because you and I both know coming from the new age, it was never on purpose, right? Now, there are many people that serve him on purpose, but that was never us. But we don't even have to worry about the inadvertent serving of Satan because we are now in Christ. Now, there are ways where we can let Satan win, and I'll get to that later, but as far as being deceived and living under this spell, we're washed clean. We are made a new creation. We are no longer children of wrath. And when we come to God, this is what He does for us. 2 Timothy 1 7 God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and discipline. So He has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power of power. He's given you power. The power that you were always trying to manifest or alchemize within your new age practices, God has given you his power, which is way more than you could ever do for yourself or anything that Satan could mimic for you. And when I say Satan, I want to be clear on something. I'm not only talking about Satan because Satan wasn't with you and me and him and her At the same time, all the time, it was always his kind of, you know, his arsenal of minions. We may have never had Satan directly with us. It could have just always been his entities, right? Because Satan, unlike God, is not omnipotent. And I'll get to that in a moment as well. I want to stay here for a moment how it is true... Because I want to be clear about this, that it is true that Satan is the prince of this world, okay? It is true. I'm not trying to negate that truth. What I'm trying to do is get through to believers that you don't have to be afraid of that truth, okay? But Satan is the prince of this world, and it is important to be aware of that. I want to make that clear as well. The Bible calls us to expose darkness for a reason, But because Satan is the prince of this world, thus the major systems are under his influence. And again, we should bring awareness to that. Think back to my music industry episode. That's what that was all about. It was bringing awareness to that fact. It wasn't saying you should be afraid of it. It wasn't saying every time that you turn on the radio and you hear secular music that you should shut your ears and scream and run for the hills because it's demonic and scary. No, it was, you have the discernment of the Holy Spirit now. Here's the information. Do with it what you will, okay? Be aware of it. Expose it. Be aware of it and be vigilant. Something else scripture calls us to do is to be vigilant. Adding to that point. Satan does blind the minds of unbelievers. So, when I say, do not overestimate Satan, when I say that, I want to be clear that I'm talking to believers. Don't overestimate him, believers. You Christians, don't do it. But you unbelievers, listen, don't underestimate him. Do not underestimate Satan if you are not in Christ. Here's the truth. And I don't want to scare you. I want to make you aware of this. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, In their case, meaning the unbelievers, the God of this world, Satan, lowercase g, has blinded the minds of the believers. I'm sorry, <laughs> of the unbelievers. Let's start from the top. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. Of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That's what the Bible says. If you are not in Christ, it's because you are being blinded. You are being blinded. You are being deceived. He is keeping you with this spellbound slumber from seeing the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And those of us that are in new age... We can empathize with you on that, in that sense, because I know speaking from my own experience, when I would hear scripture, you know, maybe some of it sounded pretty, but kind of just rolled off my shoulders. I was blinded. Same thing with just this whole idea that Jesus was my Lord and Savior, that Jesus died on the cross for me. I, it just, it didn't sit right with me. And now I want to speak on that for a moment too, because that's for a reason, okay? There is a reason that people don't cringe when they hear Buddha or Muhammad. There's a reason people don't cringe when they hear the universe or source. There's a reason people cringe when they hear the name Jesus Christ. It's because his law is written on all of our hearts. And sometimes when we are in that slumber of unbelief and that deception... It's kind of like poking the bear when you say Jesus Christ. It's shining light into the darkness. And it's very uncomfortable. And that's because Jesus is the real God. Buddha and Muhammad, all them, Gandhi, doesn't trigger anybody. Doesn't trigger anybody. Jesus Christ does. And that's because Satan does blind the minds of unbelievers. So he is, indeed, the major influence on this world. Satan is the major influence of ideals, opinions, goals, hopes, views of the majority of people in this world. His influence also encompasses the world's philosophies, educations, and commerce. The thoughts, ideas, speculations, and false religions of the world are under his control and have sprung from his lies and deceptions, This is all true. And this is something unbelievers and believers should be aware of alike. Now speaking to believers again, everything I just said, that Satan is the major influence on this world, ideas, opinions, goals, hopes, views. He influences the philosophies, the educations, commerce, school systems, government, music industry, Hollywood, everything, the thoughts, ideas, speculations, this idea that men can get pregnant, this idea that people have periods. This idea that you can wake up one day if you're a girl and decide that you're a boy and that's okay. And that's normal and that's fine. Abortion. That you can kill your unborn child and that is freedom. This is all from Satan. Should we fear it though as believers? No, we should not. Should we worry about it? I'm sure we will, but ultimately it's unnecessary to worry about it. And it's because we know who wins the war. And if you read the Bible, we know how this ends. Now, if you're not in Christ, should all of that concern you? Absolutely. Because you're stuck in that depravity. Even if you don't believe in it, you're still stuck in the depravity. Because you're not in Christ. And you're either in Christ or in your flesh or in Satan. But the truth is, we know how this ends. We know how this ends. Satan may get wins along the way, but God wins the war. It is written. It is finished, said Jesus on the cross. It is finished. Okay? So, what a lot of people, believers are quick to do and even unbelievers because I was there too. So what a lot of people are quick to do is kind of just point out all the Satan in the world, you know, and then just kind of stop there. For instance, when I started to wake up to some truths in 2020, when all that went down in lockdown, And I had nothing but time on my hands and I started going down all these rabbit holes and discovering the truths of the government and the corruption and the BLM movement, how it's an entirely corrupt organization and how the leaders are X, Y, Z, have all these ties with all these different people that are ultimately all Luciferian and the same thing with the music industry and with Hollywood and all the elites like Ellen DeGeneres, like all these people, uh, Tom Hanks. All these names, these big names, when you would find all these connections to Epstein's Island and trafficking children and doing really sick, twisted things to children, you kind of would just stop there. Like, understanding that there is this intense evil nature coursing throughout humanity, throughout the world, that there really is this truly, truly malignant, Entity that is responsible for the agendas, the new world order plan, the conspiracy theories that aren't really conspiracies because they're truth, just maybe delayed truth. (laughs) But we're kind of just quick to stop there, right? We get to the darkness And then we don't bother to talk about the light. But that's the point. That's the point. And so when I say to believers, don't overestimate the devil, this is what I'm getting at. Remember who the light is. Remember who wins the war. Remember who is in charge here. It's not Satan. All that stuff that I just mentioned... Satan having a major influence on the ideas, opinions, goals, hopes, and views in this world, on the philosophies, and all of those things, right? The truth is God has sovereignty over Satan's power. A quick break in the episode to ask that if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you listen or watch. Give it a five-star rating and written review to help get this into more people's eyes and ears and spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Thank you so much. God has authority over the fact that Satan's influence is running amok throughout the world. So when we talk about all this influence Satan has, we have to remember the one who gave him permission to have the influence in the first place. So believers should not overestimate the devil, but unbelievers should not underestimate the devil. Because if you are an unbeliever in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you are under this spiritual blindness, this deception of Satan. The Bible says so in 2 Corinthians. Now, you may say to yourself, well, if God really loves me, why would he allow me to be spiritually asleep? But the thing is, you only know what it feels like to wake up in the morning really, really, really refreshed because you slept through the night, right? It's the same thing with God. When he wakes you up from that spiritual slumber, you wake up feeling refreshed. When he takes off those spiritual blinders, when he removes that from your eyes, you know what it's like to truly see the world through the lens of God's unfailing love and the salvation of Jesus. And you see that for the first time and you recognize how true it is, how glorious it is, how marvelous it is, how undefeated it is by the way, and it's only because you have that contrast of what it was like to live otherwise. You know, perhaps God has created Satan ultimately to show us what it would be like without God or the consequence of what it's like without God. He keeps him on that leash. He keeps Satan on a, on a long leash, but ultimately he's on a leash, okay? He is on a leash, and God says where he can and cannot go. So the fact that Satan does have authority over the world does not negate the fact that God has authority ultimately over Satan. Satan cannot do anything without God's sovereignty. He has to make sure that it's that God will let him do that. He can't do anything on his own accord. He is not God's equal. Satan is not the opposite of God. He is the subordinate of God. He is beneath the Lord. He is the Lord's creation. He is not a creator. He is not omnipotent. He is not all-knowing. He is not all-present. He cannot read your mind. He cannot read your heart as only the Lord can, okay? All he can do is study you as he has done for since the dawn of time, But when you do not have the salvation in Christ, when you are not in the Lord, you are still under Satan's influence and God hands you over to that. Until if it's of his will, he wakes you up. I tried to snap, but I can't. (laughs) So here's the thing as believers, okay, getting it in our head as Christians coming out of the new age or otherwise, you know, coming out of addiction, whatever it is, getting it in our head that literally everything is the devil or that we need to be afraid of the devil is is is, is, is unnecessary. You know, thinking that he's going to just infiltrate us at any given moment, anytime we take a misstep. Look, it's dangerous. It's a dangerous ideology. And it's dangerous for a few reasons. It's because when we Have this assumption as believers that Satan is everywhere and is going to pounce at any moment and can just totally infiltrate us at any moment. You're giving him way too much clout. You're giving the devil way too much clout. This guy does not deserve all the credit that our obsessive fear can lend him. And also what's even more dangerous about that is that you're actually underestimating God's sovereignty by overestimating the devil's power. And again, he is not worthy of that. Even for a moment, he is not worthy of that. So if you are a believer in Christ, I want you to stop overestimating what the devil is capable of. And if you are an unbeliever, then I want you to stop underestimating what the devil is capable of. But either way, I want you to understand that whatever the devil is capable of is because God has let him be. And it's ultimately all for his glory. Because he wins the war. God wins. God wins. God won. God won. Saint's just doing cartwheels while he can. While, While he still has the time. While God is allowing him the time before he throws him into the lake of fire. He's just doing what he can while he can. Trying to take your L. He wants to take your L. Every time you say no to God scene takes a win so look it's not just for the record within the former new age community that i noticed this kind of mindset with in christ you know people that believe that it's really lifelong devout christians too who preach things like oh the devil's working overtime and things like that and look i'm not here to say that the devil isn't working and maybe he's working overtime, sure. But here's the thing, the, that God is working all the time. God is working all the time. And again, God is the omnipotent one. The devil isn't. The devil can't be with me and with you at the same time. And you want to know something else? The Bible's not very clear on Satan's origins. And I... The reason for that, I believe, is because it's kind of a moot point. Because it doesn't matter. Because in reality, Satan doesn't matter if you are in Christ. He's nothing to be concerned about if you are in Christ. And I think that's why scripture doesn't waste its time giving us the biography of the evil one and all his credentials and all his history because it's a moot point the bible gives us the good news of jesus christ and his salvation and that's what we should be giving other people too now again i do think it's important to expose the darkness the bible says to do that and to be aware of it and to use discernment but ultimately let's lead people to the good news before we lead them to you're a child of the devil Do you know what I'm saying? (laughs) And coming back to this point of how we kind of are really quick to shift the blame with the devil in all things, right? I was thinking of some examples how maybe a marriage blows up. And again, I'm I'm talking to two believers right now. Maybe a marriage blows up between two believers and they get a divorce despite that scripture says not to do that. We blame the devil. Oh, the devil attacked their marriage. The devil's the reason they split. Or here's the thing. Maybe it's the nature of the human heart. Maybe it's their selfishness. Maybe they weren't in the word enough. And so their flesh took over. And that selfishness of the human heart, which we all have, tore them away from their covenant and from their spouse. Right? Maybe it wasn't the devil. Maybe it was just their sinful nature. And I'm going to kind of get more into that in a moment, how it is important to make the distinction between the two. But let me go through the rest of these examples, right? Health problems. Oh, it's the devil. I remember when I first came to Christ, I got really, really sick a month after. I got this really, really, really bad stomach virus. I've never had anything like it in my life. Like, I was, it was disgusting. It was terrible. And it lasted a week. It put me in the hospital. It was was bad, guys. And All I was saying was, this is a spiritual attack. This is a spiritual attack. It's a spiritual attack. And look, I'm not here to say that it wasn't because who knows? Perhaps it was. Spiritual oppression is real. Spiritual attacks are real. I'm not saying they are not. But what I am saying is that every single time you have a cold or every single time you get sick or if, you know, you get cancer later in life, you know, you beat up your liver it, it it's always the devil but 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 it's not always the devil because our physical bodies are broken and they are waiting for resurrection you know sometimes just our long our long-term consequences lead us to complications later in life and God has sovereignty over that that happened with my grandmother it's not always the devil we give them way too much clout as believers. Forgetting God's sovereignty. Same thing with the vision in the church, right? Oh, it must be spiritual oppression. Or it's poor leadership. It's poor doctrinal foundation. It's poor doctrine. Maybe it's not Satan. Maybe it's not the demons. Maybe it's just poor leadership. So don't get me wrong here, the devil does cheer all of this on. Like he loves it. <laughs> he loves destruction. He loves death. He loves chaos. He loves agony. He loves suffering. He loves misery. He loves all of it, but he is not always the cause of it. And we as believers need to stop assuming that Satan is as all powerful as God. He is not. He is not omnipotent. Daniel 4 tells us that no one can ward off God's hand satan is not god's equal again satan is god's subordinate so it's coming back to that even when the devil is working overtime god is working all the time and the only reason dead the devil can work at all is because god lets him okay so we are in a war with the evil one i want to make that clear we are in a war with the evil one it's pretty e- easy to see that when you walk outside your front door like i say almost every episode but let's reference first peter 5 8 here okay where it says be sober minded be watchful your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour so what a lot of people do what a lot of christians do is just kind of say the last part of that where the devil prowls around seeking someone to devour they forget the first part be watchful be sober minded why is that there why is that why are those instructions there what does that mean It means that God has granted us the tools to do that as his children, to be watchful, to be vigilant. And we have superiority over Satan in that sense because we are in Christ and Christ is God and God is the ultimate authority. And look, yes, we have Ephesians. We have Ephesians 6 where we're told that we do wrestle against the principalities and powers and darkness of the world. But what comes after that and what precedes that? Let's read this passage in full, Ephesians 6, 11 through 18. This is one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible. Listen close. Put on the whole armor of God. That's the first instruction. That's the first part of the sentence. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So it's very clear the only way to stand against the wiles of the devil, put on the armor of God. So if you're an unbeliever, you can't stand against the wiles of the devil because you do not have the armor of God on. So it's time to accept Jesus Christ into your heart because he stretched out his arms on a wooden cross and he died for you and he loves you. God sent him for you to protect you, to redeem you, to bring you everlasting life. Put down your pride and put on the armor of God. Moving on. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Okay? So God tells us exactly how to protect ourselves as believers from the spiritual warfare against the devil and his minions. He has equipped us. Our God has equipped us with his word, his spirit, his son, his promise, his unfailing love, his sovereignty, and his authority over everything and everyone, including Satan. And God gives us these instructions because he's no no stranger to the wiles of the devil. He created him. He knows how he works. Satan is known by God just as well as you are. Just as God knows every hair on your head, he knows Satan. Just as he knows every sparrow and every lily, he knows Satan. He knows the devil inside out and backwards. So while we, as these mere little humans, while we may not know better than Satan, which we don't, for the record, we don't. Listen, this is a being that's been around since the beginning of time, right? (laughs) He's been studying humanity from the dawn of time, but we have God on our side. We have God on our side as believers. And God knows better than Satan, even if we don't. Always, God knows better than Satan. And remember, Romans 8:31, if God is for us, who can be against us? This is why in Matthew 10:18, I'm sorry, 10:16, This is why we are called to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. It's why he tells us all throughout scripture how to overcome the wiles of the devil with that passage from Ephesians as an example. Be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. So be wise, be vigilant, right? It's like that former verse. All those verses, actually. There's many verses about being sober-minded. And look, that doesn't necessarily refer to the influence of alcohol or drugs. For some people reading scripture, it convicts them of that, and it really does mean that. But the context means vigilance. It means that we must be aware, we must use the tools that we have been given from our God in order to exercise that vigilance and that discernment of the Holy Spirit especially when we first come to Christ because we don't know anything. We don't know anything about anything. We're babies. And what do babies need? They need to be held. They need to be bottle-fed. They need to be patted on the back when they cry. They need to be taught. And what do toddlers need as we start to mature in Christ? Well, toddlers need to learn how to walk. You know, there's all these as we as we come to the Lord, all these things to learn. And it's so much fun and it's so beautiful. And we've been given the tools. You just got to get into that word. God, get, get into the word. And find doctrinally sound influences. Find those. Find those pastors to disciple you. Elders in the church community. We need that. So here's the thing with all of it though, okay? And this is for unbelievers too. James 4, 7, probably the most important part of scripture in the context of this episode. So let's remember this over and over, James 4, 7. Submit yourself therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So when we put on that armor of God, this is what happens. The devil will flee from you. And unbelievers need to hear that too. Because when you submit to God, you become a threat to the devil. He doesn't want to be around you when you start to love Jesus. When you surrender your life to Jesus, he doesn't want to be around that. That scares him. He's a coward. He will flee from you. He's afraid of God because he knows the end just like you do if you've read the bible he knows he gets thrown in the lake of fire that's his fate there's no escaping it like i said he's just doing what he can while god allows him the time to do it but he knows his fate and the devil literally flees from obedient stewards in christ so as a believer do not overestimate the devil Now, to be clear, by no means am I suggesting that we be cocky about the devil, okay? Again, this is a being that has been around way longer than you or I have. So, even us as believers, we shouldn't underestimate him any more than we should overestimate him. Don't be fearful of the devil, believer in Christ, but do not be cocky about him either. So what do I mean? What what can we be instead, right? What can we be? We can be confident in Christ and responsible in our walk with him. Confident in Christ and responsible in our walk with him. Confident in God's sovereignty, confident in the work that was done on the cross by Jesus Christ and responsible in our walk by Ephesians 6 passage, putting on the armor of God, reading the Bible, praying, praying, leaning on a doctrinally sound community for guidance, being sober-minded and vigilant and watchful and asking the Holy Spirit to equip you with the discernment necessary. Part of our temptation in this life is... To give power to Satan. And what do I mean by that? Well, I want to look at the Lord's Prayer. Okay, because this is where we start to lose that responsibility of our walk with him. So the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Jesus says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day your daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. First, I don't want to forget this point. It says give us this day our daily bread, meaning that the bread is needed daily, meaning that we need the word of God daily. We need prayer daily. We need Jesus daily. Okay, we need the vigilance daily. We need to pick up our cross and follow him daily. Moving on, my point here is that this starts with, this sentence starts with, lead us not into temptation. It does not start with deliver us from evil. It starts with do lead us not into temptation. Because our temptation gives power to Satan when we do not submit to God. And James 4, 7 shows us what happens when we do submit to God. The devil flees. So part of our temptation, therefore, is to assume the devil's handiwork instead of our own. Now, this is where I'm going to get into the part that I mentioned before about making the distinction between our flesh and the devil and why that matters and how we as believers sometimes give the devil way too much credit where credit is not due. Especially coming out of the New Age, I think that a lot of the time we can get caught up with almost li- looking for things to a fault looking for the devil a little too much in things what that does is takes the sovereignty away from God takes the power away from God and gives it to Satan it also takes the responsibility off yourself because oh i'm just a victim and satan is this menacing beast who i cannot i cannot avoid right But we're so often quick to blame demonic activity for things that we forget how fallible the nature of man is. And the fallible nature of man does not go away when you surrender to Jesus because you're still a person, but your soul and your spirit has been redeemed. The the bottom line is that man is fallible because we do live in a broken world. The Bible tells us repeatedly that is because of sin. Not that it's necessarily because of the devil. Okay? So. Of course, the devil loves evil. Of course, he loves evil. Like I said before, he cheers on death. He cheers on destruction. But look, some things genuinely do just happen. Because... We live in a fallen world because our world is under the curse of sin. That yes, Jesus can redeem us for, but that's still the nature of the world. Okay. Romans six twenty three again, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So that's the way out. That's the way out. But the thing is, stuff still happens because of the fallible nature of humanity. Car accidents happen because people fall asleep at the wheel, roads get slippery, vehicles break down. Yes, this is all under the sovereignty of God. It's under his providence. He lets these things happen in our broken world. But that's his way of showing us the world is broken, right? These things aren't always occurring because the devil is behind every car accident. He's not with... Think about how many people are getting in a car wreck right now, unfortunately. He's not with all those people at the same time. Nowhere in the Bible does it even imply remotely that the devil could be everywhere at once. Only God himself can. Only God himself can. And yes, look, the devil has minions. He has demons. He has children of his own running amok in the world. But the Bible is clear, again, that the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Okay, okay. As we all know, sin was born in the Garden of Eden. Now, yes, there was demonic input when the serpent tempted Eve in the Garden, but ultimately it was still her choice because the devil can tempt you. He can play on your patterns because he has studied you, but he cannot make you sin as a believer in Christ. When you are not a believer and you are under the deception he can just whisper any old thing in your ear and one of his minions can and yeah, he'll make you sin in that sense, but I mean it's still your your choice. You may not be aware of it, but you're still doing it. But as a believer especially, the devil can't make you sin. So when I say be responsible, you know, we can be confident and responsible in our walk with Christ. I mean that we should not always be so quick to shift the blame to the devil for every single time something bad happens or you're struggling with something or things feel heavy or dark. And this is even on a global scale, okay? Because yes, a lot of the world leaders literally worship Satan. Literally. But a lot of them may not even believe in God. Or Satan, they just literally love their greed and their money and their power and themselves. And they genuinely think that this life is as good as it gets. So they're going to make the most of it by taking from everybody else, by controlling everybody else. Now, do, are they inadvertently worshiping Satan in this sense? Yes, they are. Are they aware of it? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Sometimes the evil agendas are not about serving the evil one, even though they are serving the evil one. That's not always what they're about. They are about man serving himself and his sinful desires, see? And the same is true in our lives a lot of the time. It's likely not the devil, but rather your own sinful flesh working against you. 1 Peter 2.11 says, Beloved, I urge you as foreigners and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. It says that our fleshly lusts, our desires, our temptations, right? Lead us not into temptation. Wages war against our soul. It wages war against our soul. Our own flesh. Because we have three foes, really. If you think about it, we have three foes. The devil, the world, and our flesh. In Romans 6 and 7, Paul talks about the mind and the flesh struggling against each other, even as a believer. He is a believer, right? He's Paul. And this struggle is because our minds, yes, our minds have been renewed. Romans 12, 2 says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. But he says here, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And he says this because your mind has been renewed. You can be transformed by your mind because it has been renewed, because you are in Christ, because he's done that for you. He's washed you clean, like we talked about at the beginning. But the thing is, although your mind has been renewed and your spirit has been saved your soul has been saved these bodies that we are in have not yet been resurrected we are not with our glorified bodies so our sin our sin still has access to us as believers while you are an unbeliever you are in bondage to your sin you are a slave to your sin you are dead in your sin when you come to Christ he renews your mind he, he renews your heart, but you're still in your body. You're still in the world. You're not of the world, but you're in it. And so your sin still has access to you. We have a regenerated spirit the moment we receive Christ, but our physical flesh has not yet been redeemed. There's a lot of talk about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you want to take a look. But I did want to mention this one, these couple verses at the minimum, Okay. 1 Corinthians 15, 43 through 44 say, Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. So what are the two words that we hear reiterated over and over? Will be. As in, not yet. Not while we're still here. Unfortunately, (laughs) that's just how it is. So, while you as a believer in Christ are no longer held captive by sin because your spirit has been redeemed in Christ, sin still has access to you. And you know this as a Christian. You, you know that you're tempted. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Because when we submit to the temptation, we submit to the sin. And when we submit to the sin, it makes it easier to submit to more sin and submit to more sin and submit to more sin and submit to more sin. And And so when we're submitting to that sin over and over and over, submitting to the flesh instead of the spirit, deliberately pursuing sin, that's the win for the devil that I was talking about earlier. That's giving him the power. And it is an inadvertent way of pleasing him because you are not serving God. What did James 4, 7 say? Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That means resist your flesh too. Because when you resist your flesh, you're resisting sin. And when you're resisting sin, Satan doesn't want to be near you anyway. Because you're abiding in Christ. And he could be out bothering an unbeliever who is spiritually asleep. Who has the blinders on. He's not going to mess with you when he knows he can't. When you have that armor of God on. Spirit. The sword of the spirit. The the Bible. Right? Right? The thing is your body can't make you sin. We all have choices to submit to the flesh or the spirit and you know as well as I do there are moments when you when you feel it, you feel like you want to sin. And then you get that you get that nudge, put it down. Don't do that. Stop it. We've all felt it. And sometimes we ignore it. Let's just be real. Sometimes we ignore it. But when we don't ignore it, you notice what happens when you listen to it. It gets stronger. You get stronger when you submit to the spirit. When you resist that temptation, you let Satan take the L. Often, it is your desires arising out of your fallen nature that raise war against your soul, as scripture says. And when you abide in that, rather than in Christ, as commanded in Matthew 16, 24 through 25, where it says, if anyone wants to come after me, Jesus speaking, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So when you pick up that cross and you follow Christ, you're finding life. But if you don't want to give up your sin, you're losing your life. And you're giving Satan wiggle room. Especially as an unbeliever. Because you have not yet been redeemed. So, this is why I say not to be cocky as a believer. Okay? Don't be cocky. Because you still can sin. And you do. And you know it. Deliberately or not. You sin 10 times in the morning before you brush your teeth. You know what I mean? So don't be cocky, okay? Your sin still has access to you. So we do need to be (laughs) vigilant. We do need to be vigilant and responsible and faithful servants of our Savior to avoid giving the devil that wiggle room. And if you're an unbeliever, You got to stop listening to the lies that the devil is telling you. Pick up the Bible. Read the Gospel of John. Ask Jesus to show you the truth. And he will. Tell Jesus, you don't know what any of this is about. You feel crazy. It sounds crazy. But you're willing to let him in if he's real. And to just go ahead and come into your heart. And he'll do it. But... Back to believers. And I'm sorry to jump back and forth so much, but I feel like there's just so much here. This is why I said that this topic could be elaborated on for hours and hours and hours. And I'm certainly not the scholar to be presenting the best, you know, the best analysis of this. But I think it's really important for all of us to hear. And I know a majority of my audience is the former New Age community. And so I want to just drive this point home over and over and over again that... We need to stop giving the devil so much clout because we're undermining God's sovereignty, but at the same time, we can't be cocky. We have to be vigilant and sober-minded. We have to put on the full armor of God. We have to take up our cross and deny our flesh daily in order to really experience the fulfillment, the fullness rather, the fullness of our salvation. You know, it's not just be saved and be lazy. It's It's be saved and exercise that salvation, right? You don't have to work for your salvation with Christ. You don't work for it, but you do work it out. And it does say that in scripture, to work out your salvation. So what does work out mean? It means to exercise, to practice. So you practice, you exercise it, you exercise your salvation, and you really experience the fullness of it when you are totally obedient to Christ. You can really experience the the fullness of his plan for you when you abide in him and and what his word says because you can never do wrong doing what the bible says now for the record believer i'm not saying that every time you mess up even intentionally like i said we all do it um every time you mess up that 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 means that, that that you're you're suddenly the devil's playground that's not what i'm saying it just means that when we submit to temptation, to sin, it's easier to keep choosing sin over and over, like I said. And we then f- kind of forget the tools that we've been given to protect ourselves because it's really easy to get wrapped up in this world when we're in it, when we- when our bodies have not been yet resurrected, right? So it's easy to kind of forget sometimes the tools we've been given to protect ourselves and to really let God navigate us through. But the thing is, okay... I'm talking to believers now exclusively, but unbeliever, listen and feel the pull, feel the pull, okay? These three verses from different parts of the Bible, we have 1 Corinthians 10, 13, where it says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Hear that? He will not let you. Any temptation that you experience is God's providence. The verse continues. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. And that's the nudge I was talking about. That don't do it. That put it down. That not that. That voice, that that feeling that the Holy Spirit gives you. And that's another thing coming out of the new age. I think sometimes that we get really scared to trust that because we're coming from the new age backdrop where, oh, just listen to the inner voice and let your inner self guide you and all those things that sometimes when the Holy Spirit talks to us, we get freaked out and we think that it's. That it's our intuition, like our our own understanding, and we don't want to lean on it because scripture says lean not on your own understanding. But this is how we learn to trust God. So when you get those nudges from the Holy Spirit, what I suggest you do if you're having trouble understanding if it is the Holy Spirit or if it's an inclination from your flesh, cross-reference it with scripture see what the bible says if it matches up with what the bible says then you know it's the holy spirit because the holy spirit will never contradict the very word that it breathes through the authors of scripture so always cross reference with scripture and that's how you learn to trust god that's how you get to know god coming into a relationship with god is similar to other relationships you kind of have to learn how to trust you got to get to know the person before you can really trust them right it's the same thing with jesus so get to know him through the bible and then those those Holy Spirit nudges, you'll begin to understand, yes, okay, that's God. That's, that's God's way of telling me no, right? Reading on to 2 Thessalonians 3.3, 3, we have, But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. You hear that? He will protect you from the evil one. This is why I said at the beginning that we can rest in the Lord because he will protect you from the evil one. Now, again, we shouldn't just be lazy Christians, but we can know this, that he is faithful and he will strengthen you. He will strengthen you. He's given us the tools. His providence. Finally, Deuteronomy 31.6, be strong and courageous. And again, he will strengthen you as we have just seen. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified of them. For the Lord, your God, goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Okay, listen, you are a child of God. Ultimately, he is your protector. We have a responsibility, yes, to be vigilant disciples, but we alone cannot be the sole proprietor of our own protection from the devil, nor the conquerors of our own sin. If we could do either one of those things, we wouldn't need Jesus. If we could have protected ourselves from the devil, we would have never fallen into the deception of the new age in the first place. And if we could conquer our own sin, we wouldn't have given into XYZ temptation that, you know, kind of ruined your life a little bit, right? Something came to mind. If the world could conquer its own sin, we would have done it by now. We wouldn't be living the way that we are living. The state of the world would not look the way it does if we could conquer our own sin, if we didn't need a savior. But that's the thing. We need Jesus. Everyone needs Jesus. And Jesus did come to save you from your sin, okay? He did come to save you from your sin. And he also came to save you from the devil. 1 John 3, 8. The reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. It says that the devil has been sinning since the beginning. But the son of man came to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came to conquer evil, to conquer sin for his glory, because he finds pleasure in In your satisfaction of him. And that satisfaction in him is met when he redeems you from all that. From the evil and from your sin. So what this all is, in a nutshell, is a beautiful reminder of God's sovereignty in all things. And that's why you, believer, can take a deep breath and know. James 4, 7, submit to God, the devil will flee from you. an unbeliever, listen close. God's sovereignty is in all things. If you're listening to this, it's because God wants you to be listening to this. And that's not just me saying that to like toot my own horn. It's because God has providence in all things. If you weren't supposed to be listening to this right now, you wouldn't be. God wants you. He wants you. He loves you. He doesn't want you to be spiritually asleep. John 3.16, God so loved the world. He sent his only begotten son. The world. You are in this world. He loves you. He wants you to be redeemed. He weeps. When his creation turns from him. You don't have to keep going on the way you're going right now. You don't have to be under the snares of the devil. And I know that's probably not very pleasant to hear. Uh, look, I, I understand that. But that's why I, I'm trying to lead with the good news first is that Jesus loves you. But the bad news is that if you don't accept that love, you're serving the devil. But even that bad news is good news still. You know why? Why? Because Jesus can redeem you from it. Just let him. Talk to him. Read the Gospel of John. Another quick break in this episode to remind you that you can donate to the Heaven and Healing Podcast Ministry at donorbox.org slash heaven healing podcast ministry. I will leave that in the show notes. And if that doesn't work, you can always directly Venmo me if you do feel called to do so. My Venmo is at Angela Marie which it's the spelling of my Instagram, and I will leave that in the show notes as well. 100% of the donations go straight into the time, energy, and maintenance of Heaven and Healing podcast, and every donation is greatly appreciated. If you can't donate, all I ask is that you say a prayer. Thank you so much. So all of this brings me to the punchline, okay? Which is how I just said God is sovereign in all things. God is sovereign over Satan. This is how I said earlier, God is sovereign over Satan. Satan is not God's equal. Satan is God's subordinate. Satan's power is granted by God because God is sovereign, not Satan. Satan is not the opposite of God. He is not all powerful. (laughs) Satan is not the opposite of God. He is not all powerful. He is not ever knowing all present. Satan is not God's equal. He is God's subordinate. His power is granted by God because God is sovereign, not him. Satan is not the opposite of God. He is not all-powerful. He is not ever-present. He is not all-knowing. He is crafty. Yes, he is cunning. And he can masquerade as an angel of light, as 2 Corinthians tells us. But at the end of the day, he's not very creative because he can't really do anything outside of God's providence. All he can do is mimic and mock God's word. Why? Because he doesn't have unlimited power like God does. He only has the power that God allows him to have. So you as a believer need to stop giving him so much clout. Stop overestimating what the devil can do. And you as an unbeliever need to understand this. That if you are not in Christ, you are in Satan. So you shouldn't underestimate his power. But you should know that his power comes from God's providence And that God's providence can will you to his love and redeem you from that spiritual slumber, from being dead in your sin, from the temptations of your flesh and your desires. Whosoever loses his life will find it, is what Jesus says himself. He's worth it. Your flesh ain't. This world ain't. We have three foes, remember? Satan, the world, the flesh. And we have one king and his name is Jesus Christ and he is God. But all throughout scripture, we see examples, especially in the book of Job, where God allows Satan to have power. So let's go through some of those examples, okay? It says first and foremost, that in Job 1.6, that Satan came among them came among the sons of God before the Lord, presenting themselves, meaning that Satan is his creation. So let's just get that out of the way. Let's just clear that up right from the gate that he is not God's equal. Like, that's not just me saying that. That's actually what the Bible says, okay? Now, those examples, because he is God's creation, he cannot do things without God's permission. Satan cannot tempt without God's permission. Matthew 4, 1, Jesus was led up, by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. let up by the spirit to be tempted by the devil. God did that. Satan cannot influence without God's permission. Job 1.12. The Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has in your power, only do not reach out and put your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. What is What is God saying here? Do not put your hand on him. You can do all these things with Job, but you can't touch him. You can't do that. But I'll let you I'll let you do other things, okay? So, shoo-shoo. Satan cannot influence without God's permission. 1 John 5, 18 shows us that Satan cannot take without God's permission because it says, We know that no one who has been born of God sins, but he... Who was born of God keeps him and the evil one does not touch him. God keeps him. God is keeping you as a believer. And as an unbeliever, doesn't it sound so good to be kept by God? I can tell you that it is. Satan cannot force believers to do anything. I spoke on that a little earlier, but we see it in Acts 26, 18 where it says to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. So Satan cannot force believers to do anything because God has opened their eyes so that they can turn from darkness to light. And that whatever power Satan had when we talked about those spiritual blinders, are no more it's god's it's god's in charge now god's always in charge but you know what i mean in this context and when that happens when you become a believer you receive the inheritance and the forgiveness and you've been sanctified this is all good news and satan can't force you to do anything because of that good news Next, Satan cannot read our thoughts because Satan is not all-knowing like the Lord. Isaiah 40:28 and 1 Kings 8:39 is examples, okay? Isaiah 40:28 says, "Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is unsearchable." Then we have 1 Kings then here in heaven your dwelling place and forgive and act and give to each in accordance with all his ways whose heart you know for you alone know the hearts of all of mankind. You alone. So we see two things here. How I mentioned before that Satan is God's creation and he knows him just as well as he knows you. However, what does Isaiah say? God's Understanding is unsearchable, meaning Satan does not know God's mind. He does not. Satan is not God's equal. He's not one step ahead. And back to the working overtime thing, the only reason he has to work overtime is because it's the only chance he has of making any sort of progress before he gets thrown into the lake of fire, ultimately, and is defeated. And then the second thing we see is that God alone knows the hearts of mankind. Satan simply studies humanity, but he ultimately has just been singing the same song and dance since the fall. He just studies humanity. He doesn't know humanity the way God does because he cannot be in your mind or in your heart. He can only observe your patterns. He knows what makes you tick because he's seen it because of what you've done. He has seen the sins that tempt you the most because of what you have done. He sees the way that you give into your flesh because of what you have done. He observes, observes your patterns. He has observed you. He has observed your family, your lineage. That's why when, you know, we go to mediums and things like that, those demons are so good at knowing. It's just because they've seen it already. Okay? Now, listen, the Bible does say in Hebrews 2.14 that Satan holds the power of death. But it says that he, as in God, might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. So although Satan holds the power of death, he does not have the authority over it. Because Jesus is the King of kings, Lord of lords, and no one is greater than he. And there is no one equal to him in his power and his authority and sovereignty and providence and will. Satan may have a plan for you, an agenda for you, but God has his will for you. And ultimately, that will be done. And whatever schemes or agendas Satan has in store will only come to pass if it's of God's will, if he lets that happen. Because ultimately, there's some sort of plan there to bring... Glory to him. Without God's permission, Satan cannot do anything at all. Now, I know this begs the question, just like it might have earlier for unbelievers. Well, if God really loved me, why would he let me be asleep? And again, it's that whole, that metaphor of you don't know what it's like to wake up refreshed in the morning, or you, rather you only know what it's like to wake up refreshed in the morning because you were asleep, Right. So with this kind of mindset, you know, why would God let Satan do anything at all? Why does God let evil be? And this is a topic that is honestly for another day. It's it's a it's a topic, it's an episode, it's it's five episodes all in and of itself. And I will get into that at some point. Um it's great apologetics, but I will offer this perspective briefly because I heard John Piper say it and I can't get it out of my mind, okay? He said that God has ordained Satan to have a long leash with God holding on to it because he knows that when we walk in and out of temptations, struggling both with the physical and moral effects that they bring, more of God's glory will shine in that battle than if he took Satan out yesterday. God holds Satan on that leash. Ultimately, just to bring him glory, because Sam Rutherford said, Satan is only God's master fencer to teach us how to use our weapons. Right? So what weapons? Let's go back to the Ephesians passage. The be watchful, sober-minded passage. Be vigilant passage. Satan is a reminder for us all that, Submitting to God, abiding in Christ, reading, believing, trusting the gospel, resisting temptation, and praying ceaselessly are the tools that will help us overcome any evil. Thus bring glory to God. Satan is just a reminder for us to submit to God. He's a subordinate. He's a a piece of this all. He's a piece of God's will. All things are glory to God ultimately, and I think that understanding really comes from a maturity in Christ, because it's something I couldn't quite grasp at first. The concept of if God is all loving, why does bad thing? Why do bad things happen? Why would Satan even have this authority? But when I can see it in this broad sense of this long leash that he can just run around and kind of just do what he will within the parameters of those boundaries of that leash that God has given him, that God is holding him on. Understanding that if I didn't know the true wickedness of the devil, then my mind, my human mind, may not really be able to comprehend the goodness of the Lord. And so think about it in that sense. How in this, in this really interesting way, Satan is almost a way that God uses his providence to show us how good he is, to show us how, how much we need him. Because if we didn't have this contrast of what was truly evil or bad, how would we really understand what perfect goodness is? And it's not like God has even given Satan the option to potentially defeat him someday. Because he gets thrown in the lake of fire. And that's why the devil's a coward. That's why James four seven says he will flee from you. If you submit to God, if you resist him, if you resist the devil, if you resist the temptation, the devil will just flee from you because he's terrified of God. Because it could just, any day, it could just happen that he could be thrown into the lake of fire. But just like John Piper said, more of God's glory will shine in this battle than if he were to take Satan out yesterday. An unbeliever listening, look, Jesus is patient. God is waiting. Jesus can come at any time. The Bible says no man knows the hour or day. But he has been waiting for you. This whole time he's been waiting for you. Because he loves you so much. He loves you so much and he does not want to see you perish. So in conclusion know this, okay? The devil is a coward. Again, I want to reiterate that the devil's a coward ultimately. The only reason he can mess with unbelievers is because they're spiritually blind. He messes with blind people. What kind of what kind of powerful person does that? Messes with a blind person. Can you imagine? Just just picture somebody taking an actual physically blind man, spinning him around 6 times and pushing him into a room Without his walking stick. That's what Satan does. That is not the essence of a truly extraordinary being. That is pathetic, actually. He messes with the spiritually blind. He messes with them and it's messed up (laughs) that he does that. But you with eyes to see. He can't do that too and he knows it. The only wiggle room we ever give him to kind of like be an influence in our lives in any sort of sense is when we just give into our sin, in our flesh, in our flesh. So again, believer, listen, stop giving the devil so much clout. I'm giving him way too much credit. He doesn't deserve all the credit. We should expose the darkness. We should be aware of the guiles and the wiles and the schemes and the tricks and the treachery of Satan in the world, in the industries, in the governments, in the leadership, in the agendas, in the movements, in the organizations, in all of those things. But this is a guy that takes a blind man, spins him around, and tosses him into a room that we're talking about here. You, as a believer, need to know that the devil will flee from you when you resist temptation. We have three foes, remember. am going to come back to that point. The devil, the world, the flesh. The flesh, the flesh, the flesh. The flesh is a big part of that. You got to be watchful. You got to be vigilant. Use the tools God has given you. God has equipped you with the Bible, with his spirit, with his peace, with his salvation, with his son. He's given all that to you. Because he loves you. So we have to remember something that although the devil wants to destroy your life, like let's let's not make any mistake about that. He's a thief that comes in the night. He wants to destroy your life. But that requires two things here. Your ignorance, which you believe or no longer have, and it also requires God's consent. Satan cannot make the choice to destroy your life or any other choice in your life. God has providence over it all. It's God's consent. Read the book of Job. That is just a great example of it. How Satan cannot do anything outside the boundaries that God has set for him. He just can't. He's not all-knowing. He's not omnipotent. He's not ever-present. He's not everywhere all at once. He can't read your mind. He can't read your heart. All he can do is mimic and mock. He's been singing the same song and dance since the fall. And he does want to destroy your life. And he does cheer on all the destruction. And he is, like I said at the beginning, he is the influence of the world, the influence of the ideologies and all of those things, commerce, philosophies, systems, Yes, it's true. It's true. And that's why as believers, we need to expose it. And that's why as believers, we shouldn't necessarily be cocky, but we should be confident in Christ and in what he tells us to do about it, which is put on the armor of God, which is be watchful, be sober-minded, be vigilant, use the discernment of the Holy Spirit, pray. Discipleship commune in the body of Christ with your brothers and sisters in Christ you know sheep are in a flock for a reason we are we are the good Shepherd's little baby sheep sometimes if a sh- if a sheep wanders away it might walk off a cliff by itself you know what I mean like stay in your flock so look, There will be wins for Satan along the way. There will be. It's pretty easy to see that, again, looking at the world around us. But it's temporary, all right. Romans 8.18. Sufferings of this world need not compare to the the eternal glory. I paraphrase that big time. But the thing is, it's all temporary. It's all going to perish. Even Satan himself. Even Satan himself will perish. And Satan knows that. We know that. God is ultimately victorious. Let's cross-reference some scripture here to kind of close out. 2 Corinthians 2.14 But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us reveals the fragrance of the knowledge of him in every place. Of him in every place. Not of Satan in every place. Of God Almighty in every place. And then Revelation twenty ten. One of the best parts of the Bible where it says, The devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. The devil is defeated. It's over for him and he knows it. And God knows it. And if you read the Bible, you know it too. You're no longer ignorant. You're no longer spiritually blind. He can't mess with you. So don't overestimate him as a believer in Christ. Be aware. Expose the darkness. I'm not saying that we should be ignorant to his cunning schemes and his ways. I'm not saying we should be ignorant to it or turn a blind eye to it. I'm saying that we should not be afraid of it because God will protect us. God is our protector. And he's given us the tools. He has equipped us and he has defeated the evil one. He came here to defeat the evil one and to conquer sin. That's what he did. The devil trembled when Jesus rose from that grave. And he trembles at the thought of being thrown into the lake of fire. So, I don't want to uh, sound like a broken record. I uh, hope that this found you well. I hope that this really inspired you as a believer to stop giving the devil so much power just by entertaining the thoughts that he has any at all because yeah he does but remember who gave it to him and that's what it's all about so as far as the unbelievers in your life go lead with the good news for them jesus loves them the gospel Jesus died for them. As opposed to maybe saying, hey, you're demonically oppressed. you know what I mean? <laughs> Just might be nicer to lead with the good news first. Because that is the point. And that's what I'm trying to say is that God is it. It misses the mark when we give the devil way too much attention. Without making God's glory and salvation and love and eternal promise, the punchline of it all. Because it is. That's it. God is good. God is good. All the time. Um, So now in regard to my episode with Matt Reynolds, where we spoke about... The transgender movement indoctrinating children being the most deplorable sin. Look, so I went into that episode with this mindset. Okay, I've been following Matt since 2020. When I started to wake up to all the corruption in the world. And I have always respected Matt's stance on things. The bold voice. Especially as of recent as Matt began to speak out against grooming children. And providing so much information about this topic, exposing the movement for the demonic, Matt's own words, organization that it really is. And again, it's not to say that the community itself, that people in the community are demonic, it's that the movement is, right? Differentiate that. But here's the thing, I was thinking that a transgender person, look, if I interview a transgender person On this topic of transgenderism grooming kids. No secularist can say anything to me about it. They can't call me transphobic. They can't call me XYZ. They can't miss the point. It wasn't even about protecting me. It was was that they can't miss the point of it because it's coming from somebody in the community. And I know a lot of you got that. But I did get much backlash on the fact that technically Matt was born as a biological female and is still living as a man, as a trans man. And because Matt is married to a woman that is thus homosexual sin that Matt is living in and claiming to be a believer in Christ, um, that means that Matt is not actually a believer in Christ so here's a few things with that um first of all I want to be honest that I didn't consider the technicalities of homosexual sin being present here and the truth be told I don't know if it would have mattered because I don't necessarily seek out perfection in my guests um but a lot of people that I respect and admire, that do interviews that are Christian, by the way, like Alibeth Beth Stuckey, for instance, not all of her guests are always um, perfect believers or believers at all. And yet the information is is viable and it's necessary to hear from these people because let's remember that even if we aren't all, all children of God, we are all made in the image of God and he's created all of us. And so he, he can make us very intelligent and wise and, and, fighting a good fight even if we aren't necessarily abiding in him yet. Um but for us to assume that we know Matt's heart is I think where a lot of Christians kind of kind of kinda of blew it with this one because there was a lot of people attacking Matt in my comments um and attacking me even but you know saying Matt's not a true believer XYZ and the thing is only God knows that. Okay. Only God knows that. Um, so, I felt when this was happening that for the first time I was really experiencing kind of what people talk about when they say Christians are judgmental, because I was seeing a lot of judgment <laughs> deployed, and it wasn't. It was from contempt. It wasn't from grace. Okay, that was the difference. It was it was from a place of contempt. It was not from a place of grace. It was it was mean. It was accusatory, it wasn't It wasn't inviting, it wasn't gentle, it wasn't private, it was all public, you know, I don't, I did have a couple people DM me, but the majority were just blasting Matt in my comments, and I highly doubt anyone privately messaged Matt to kind of inquire about this and say, hey, look, so much love as someone who loves Jesus here, but I just want to talk to you about How, I know you love Jesus, but have you considered X, Y, Z? And this is even, you know, this isn't even touching on the nuance of Matt's situation. The intersex thing, I feel, brings this entirely different, it's an entirely different beast than to simply wake up one day and decide, you know what, hmm, this whole being a chick thing isn't really working out for me. Maybe I'll find some more fulfillment if I were a guy. You know, like there is a medical, biological factor and a nuance here. And I don't like the word nuance a lot of the time, but this is a nuance. It is a God given nuance, a God granted nuance. And Matt genuinely believes that the best bet to reach people about the realities, the grim realities of grooming kids. In the transgender movement. Matt believes that. Staying within the community. Is a better way to reach the community. And I understand that mindset. And maybe it's wrong. But I'm not. Look. I'm focused on my walk with Christ. Because I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect at all. And I had a lot of people accuse me of of not really being a true believer because I had this guest on my podcast where that is just, I'm sorry, but who are you? Just a stranger on the internet to say that I don't know Christ? And it was, again, the first time I'm really seeing what people are talking about when they say Christians are judgmental, especially within the LGBTQ community, because how can they feel accepted? How can they feel wanted or invited when Christians are just, you know, the nails come out, the fangs come out, Before the invitations or or the love, the love that God is, that Jesus is. Jesus is, he died because he loves us because he wanted to save us from our sin, not because he wanted to wag his finger in our face about it. So I was just really witnessing all this contempt coming from so many Christians. And I was thinking to myself, no wonder people in the LGBTQ community feel like god hates them or like they want no parts of the bible they're not even curious about it because they have this false assumption that it's all nasty and it's all hate and that it's all about how much god hates homosexuality or homosexual people god so loved the world let's come back to john 3 16 right and honestly, what I'm saying here kind of kind of ties into the whole theme of this very episode, right? Stop assuming the devils in everything. Like why stop assuming the devils in this in this person who says they love Jesus because maybe they're living in sin? Here's the thing, maybe Matt isn't even aware of it. And to present that awareness from a place of such harsh contempt rather than grace an intimacy, meaning a one-on-one message, conversation, I think it's the wrong move. I don't think it was productive. Now, at the same time, I'm not trying to defend myself here, but I do want to say that, look, I understand I put my neck out because from the get-go, from the moment I came to Jesus, I've been vocal about it. My sanctification process has been public. So I'll own up to that. Because within that, it's not always going to be, it's not always going to be perfect. I am going to take missteps and I have taken missteps. I haven't always said the the perfect or the right thing. In every single one of these episodes, I'm more mature in Christ than I was in the last one. You know, for example, my whole die on the King, on the King James Bible Hill, right? My second episode, I think it was, where I said that that's the only Bible we need to be reading. And that was... You know, maybe that King James is the best translation, but I think it's just important for people to get into scripture, ultimately. I think that's important. I think it's confusing and unproductive to, you know, draw these straws about which translation is the right one versus which one is from the devil. Again, let's stop giving the devil so much clout, right? So just using that as an example that my walk with Christ will mature as I mature with Christ, and thus these episodes will mature. That being said, I'm not always gonna say the right thing. Not always gonna be perfect. But I will try and own up to it when I when I recognize something may have been a flaw. And I'm just, uh, and I and I'll say that maybe it was a flaw for me to just totally not consider because I genuinely didn't think of it. Matt's, if you will sin, abiding in sin, perhaps abiding in flesh rather than in the spirit. But I can't speak for Matt. I can't say what the nudge of the Holy Spirit has said to Matt. I can't speak on the ways that God is working on Matt's heart and neither can you or anyone else that attacked Matt in the comments. So I just wanted to put that out there. That's I really wanted that episode to be all about the kids and I think it really was powerful and a lot of people had a lot of great things to say about it. That was the point of it. And that my guests aren't always going to be perfect, okay? My guests will not always be perfect and I'm not always going to be perfect because coming back to the theme of this episode, we're fallible. We are still in this broken world. Our nature, the nature of humanity is sinful. It is selfish. It is fleshy. That's why we need Jesus. So just, you know, give people grace, the same grace that Jesus gave you. That's our duty as Christians to emulate Christ, not to act all self-righteous and get all haughty about a situation like this. And I saw a lot of haughty behavior in my comment section. So, yeah, just wanted to mention that. Um, I will close out in a prayer. Close your eyes and kind of just think along with me. But if you're driving, please don't close your eyes. (laughs) Lord, Heavenly Father, Father, I want to thank you for this person who's listening. I want to thank you for creating them for loving them, for sending your son for them. And if this person is a believer, I want to thank you, Lord, for saving them. Thank you for plucking them from their darkness. Thank you for giving them eyes to see, for waking them from their spiritual slumber, for redeeming them from their sin, Lord. And I would pray that any residual trauma or fear or timidity that has followed them from their former life before you, if it were the new age or addiction, etc. I, I pray that you would remove that, that you would bind that up and that you would cast it away. That you would cast it to the lake of fire, Lord, in the name of Jesus. And that you would fill them with the discernment of the Holy Spirit. That you would give them the tools of Ephesians 6, Lord. To know that you are all sovereign, You are the protector, the redeemer, the defeater. And that the devil is not worthy of all the power that we may have been inclined to give him in the past. And Lord, I would pray that these believers would better learn to resist their temptations, to resist their flesh so that as they continue to submit to you, the devil continues to flee from them. Lord, any unbelievers listening, I pray with all my might, Father, from the bottom of my heart, that you snatch them too, that you leave the 99 of the flock to find that lost sheep, Jesus, that one who may be listening or watching, who has felt maybe an inkling here or there, a nudge here or there while they listened. I pray that you would let them know that that nudge is actually your way of knocking on their heart, asking to come in. And I pray that you would continue to knock on their hearts. I pray that you would bind up their resistance of the Holy Spirit. I pray that you would remove their spiritual blinders, that you would give them eyes to see, that you would wake them up from their slumber and show them how it feels to be refreshed in your love and in your grace and salvation and mercy, Lord. I pray that you would save them. I pray that you would save them, Lord. Please. Please, Lord. Speak to them through your word. Draw them to your word. Draw them to the foot of the cross. Draw them to your love. Show them how everything else is temporary, but you are everlasting and how that is for them too because you are for them and when you are for them, no one can be against them I pray that you would show them the truth and I pray all of this in Jesus's almighty, powerful name Amen